Welcome to Trauma and Pop Culture, a monthly podcast where we seek to make knowledge about trauma accessible to the everyday person through analyzing books, movies, TV shows, and other elements of popular culture through a trauma lens. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'm a trauma recovery coach. I also have a master's degree in religion and cultures and work with survivors of trauma on a regular basis. A word about popular culture. This could be material from modern times, like a Taylor Swift song, or it could be something really old that has retained its relevance over time, like Shakespeare. On most of the episodes on trauma and pop culture, I'll be bringing other mental health professionals into the conversation, but occasionally it'll just be me. While we will be sharing general information about trauma, we are not diagnosing anyone, which is one of the reasons we'll likely stick to fiction most of the time. Please be advised that every discussion assumes everyone has listened to or read or watched said popular item. Expect spoilers around every corner. Occasionally, we'll record these episodes while drinking or eating, so you'll often hear us discuss our food and beverage choices. Just wanted to give you a heads up. If you have questions about trauma or a show or movie or anything you think would be great to analyze, send it to traumaandpopculture at gmail.com. As I mentioned, I am a trauma recovery coach who also works with clients one-on-one. If you're interested in working with me, you can visit my website, katherinespearing.com slash coaching for more information and use the contact form to reach out. While you're on my website, you can sign up for my monthly mailing list, where I'll send out more tidbits about trauma, what popular culture stories I have found helpful on my own trauma recovery journey, plus a few other things you might enjoy. While the tone of this podcast is mostly lighthearted and fun, we will be discussing trauma. There might be some elements that are activating, especially if you're a trauma survivor. So move slow, take care of yourself. If you find yourself overwhelmed, you can always take a break and come back later. Hi friends, I am having a single malt whiskey from the Highlands region right now. And I'm gonna be sipping on it a little bit as we chat about Michael Jackson's victims. All right, so I've just finished watching Leaving Neverland, which is a two-part HBO docu-series featuring two of Michael Jackson's victims. I also just finished watching the Oprah Winfrey post-documentary interview with the two victims, as well as the director of the documentary. So one of the things that this docuseries really portrayed really well was the difference in expression of trauma in Wade, one of the young men. He his the way that the trauma showed up for him was just depression and lack of motivation and withdrawing and sudden outbursts of anger and then with James the other person that was featured in the documentary his was panic and anxiety and he he mentioned in the post documentary interview that he would he felt like his body was just like vibrating it would just be like buzzing which is a very common description of trauma survivors they just can't relax they can't calm down their body can't calm down they can't do they notice it when they do things like yoga and they're trying to do savasana and their their body just won't calm down and it's just like vibrating and buzzing so they had two different very different reactions to trauma which is if you're having a survival reaction when you're in a dangerous situation and you fight or you flee or you 
shut down or you please and appease, what happens in trauma is you continue in those reactions after the threat has been removed and that's the trauma response. And our bodies are supposed to react when we're in a dangerous situation, that's not the trauma. Our reaction when we're in a dangerous situation is not the trauma, it's what happens after that is the trauma showing up in our bodies, which is what happened with these two victims of Michael Jackson. I had heard like very little about this Michael Jackson thing and like rumors and alleged rumors. And, and typically if I hear about rumors of like child abuse or abuse in general, it's very rare that I don't have a reason to believe it because I know how much courage it takes for someone to come forward against someone powerful like Michael Jackson. So I think we have almost every reason to believe victims. I still think there needs to be a, I still think there needs to be a legal process and evidence. And, but I think that we need to take witnesses as evidence. Yes, they want physical evidence for sexual abuse situations a lot of times, but a lot of times, like in the situation, it wasn't violent and there wasn't a lot of physical evidence. And when these things happened, they happened when Michael Jackson was alone with the boys. So there weren't witnesses. And so you have to have witnesses of other things and, and just the reality that so many people knew young boys were alone with Michael Jackson sleeping in his bed. And that was just a common thing that people knew. And nobody thought it was weird because it was Michael Jackson. And he groomed an entire culture. And one of the victims, Wade, pointed that out. He didn't just groom this entire family to trust him, to trust Michael. He groomed an entire culture. He presented himself as this traumatized man who didn't get to have a childhood. And so now he was like reliving his childhood by creating this ranch called Neverland that was full of arcade games and popcorn and candy. And he was trying to relive his childhood. And then he would bring these kids into this magical land and then he would sexually abuse them. And some of the sexual abuse lasted for years with these kids. And he intentionally kept them apart from one another so that they didn't know each other. He intentionally separated them from their families so that they felt like it was just them and Michael against the world. That was something that one of the victims shared. He, he was not violent in his abuse. He was very gentle in the abuse and he called it love to a very small, impressionable child, they're going to see it as love. It wasn't love, but they thought it was love because that is what this person whom these young boys idolized told them it was. He told them it was love. And then he told them also that they would get in a lot of trouble and he would get in a lot of trouble if they told. And because they loved him, they didn't want to get in trouble and they also didn't want him to get in trouble. And they're too young to know that that is a red flag. If someone is telling you, don't tell people we're doing this because we'll get in trouble. They're too young to know that. Like they are, they're way too young to know that that is a sign that they probably shouldn't be doing it. They don't, they don't know that they're children. 
and they were all of these people were children, 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 children. And the, the level of disassociation that these kids who then grew into adults had was out of a fear and b this deeply ingrained loyalty to an idol, an icon, a celebrity, someone who who was just adored by millions of people. So that was something else that they portrayed really well as just the adoration that these kids had for Michael. And Wade, one of the victims, said the grooming process started before we even met him because he set himself up as this like angel who just, you know, gave so much money away and took care of kids and took care of cancer patients and took people to Disneyland and he was just such a nice guy. He groomed an entire culture very deliberately. And it reminds me very much of the story of Bill Cosby. And that is on Showtime. It's another docuseries on Showtime about Bill Cosby's grooming of dozens and dozens and dozens of women. Well, the scary thing about that story, which is just mirrored in the Michael Jackson story, is that Bill Cosby didn't just groom the women, he groomed an entire culture. He groomed an entire culture to see him as this America's dad, this really, you know, great dad who just loved his kids and loved his family. And that was how everyone saw him so that he could get away with it. Even when the allegations started coming out, people would not believe it because he groomed an entire culture. And that's exactly what Michael Jackson did. And it's crazy, even as I know the story and I'm watching the docuseries, whenever Michael Jackson is on and he is talking, he seems so heartfelt and he seems so just like, oh, I would never hurt kids. And he would like start to cry at the thought that anyone would ever accuse him of doing that because of how much he loved kids. It was genius. It was a calculated genius audacity in someone who was extremely powerful. And that was the exact same situation with Bill Cosby. I am not someone who is going to believe or state that just power and just fame turns people into abusers. I do not believe that at all. There are a lot of powerful, famous people who are not abusers. <laughs> and, and so fame and power is not what turned these people into monsters. And I would venture to say, from what I know of abuse, this stuff was there before they became famous and powerful. And with Bill Cosby, that was certainly the case. I know very little about Michael Jackson, other than a few articles that I read after watching the documentary. And the director of the documentary said that he was not making a documentary about Michael Jackson. He was making a documentary about these two men who were groomed and their families. And that was it. He was not making a doc. It was not about Michael Jackson. It was about the experience and the stories of these two men, which as a survivor of abuse myself, I appreciate that. This celebrity got enough attention. It's time for the victim to be able to tell their side of the story. And I, as a podcaster who I have another podcast where I do interview victims of abuse and to hold those stories and be able to say that this is this is 
your time to share your story. This is not about the abuser. It's very powerful times that I've gotten to share when it's about me and me being, having an opportunity to share my story. It's really important. It's really powerful because the abuser has shaped so much of the narrative both for the victim and for everyone around the victim. So to have an opportunity for the victim to share their story is really important. And that's what this documentary was about. It was not about Michael Jackson or his life. So I don't know much about him other than an article that I read that was titled, aptly titled, Did Michael Jackson Become an Abuser Because He Was Abused? I'll link to that article in the show notes. But this article of did he become an abuser because he was abused, it showed a bunch of different studies that was trying to determine if you're more likely to become an abuser if you have been abused. And the reality is that those who have been abused sexually it's, it's less likely that they will then perpetrate sexual abuse. The folks who end up becoming sexual abusers, it's more likely to happen with someone who has experienced neglect, which makes so much sense because sexual abuse is very intimate. And so they're, they're seeking intimacy in those sexual acts. And, and so I think that makes a lot of sense, neglect, and then also physical abuse. But the percentage of People, I do not remember the numbers. You can read the article. The, the percentage of people who became abusers who had been abused, that percentage was only slightly higher than people who became abusers who had not been abused. So abuse does not automatically equal someone is going to become an abuser. And the percentage is actually pretty low. And the abuser who didn't have abuse in their life there, it's also, there's a, also a percentage of people who weren't abused who became abusers as well. So I would venture to say that trauma makes, it, makes you more susceptible to becoming an abuser. But I would say that the percentage of people who actually become abusers because of trauma, and that's how that, that trauma works out, is them also acting that out and, and exerting their power over someone else and hurting someone else because of it. It's not as common as we might think. And I say that because I see people excusing abusers all the time because of their childhood trauma. And that happened with Michael Jackson. Because of his childhood trauma, people felt like they, they knew him and they felt like they needed to help him and they needed to take care of him. And he made them feel like they could save him um, from his loneliness and from the childhood that he never had. And so that was a part of his grooming pattern was to use his childhood trauma. And, and that is, I just want to say that it's not as common as you might think that someone with childhood trauma and someone who was abused as a child also becomes an abuser. It's not as common as you might think. It still happens, absolutely, 100%. And it's even more tragic when someone who was abused becomes an abuser because they know the pain that they have experienced and that they would then perpetuate that onto other people. Even more tragic, but it's not. A plus B does not equal C in this situation. One final thing about Michael Jackson's victims I mentioned at the beginning that both Wade and James had different trauma responses and different expressions of trauma. I want to also point out that even when these two young men believed with their cognitive brain that the way that Michael was treating them was love, their bodies still had a trauma response. 
So even when they went to bat for him in legal cases, defending him, believing in their brains that what happened to them was love and that the way that Michael treated them was love, their bodies still had a trauma response and their bodies still knew that the way that they were being treated, the way that their agency was being removed by Michael in these situations with the isolation and the way that he made them feel like they had to do this because it was love. He removed their agency and their bodies responded even when they didn't know it was abuse. So that's a really important thing to keep in mind to note that our bodies, if our bodies are not safe, our bodies will respond and carry that trauma. And they didn't start recognizing the magnitude of the damage until Michael Jackson was dead until they were physically safe from Michael Jackson, not until then were they able to look at what happened and begin to see how that had impacted them. That is so important for beginning to heal from trauma is that your body needs to be safe before you can look at it. And denial itself is a trauma response. And I will just use my own story as an example. I wasn't really able to fully look at what happened to me growing up and even use the words abuse and name it as abuse until I moved away from my hometown where my abuser lived, until I had physical geographic distance from that person. And the more distance I created, the more awareness I was able to have because my body was physically safe. And in a situation with abuse with a celebrity who is everywhere, all over, their music is on the radio, posters of them everywhere, these two young men were constantly had Michael Jackson around them, even when he wasn't physically present with them. It makes a lot of sense that post Michael Jackson's death, they would be able to understand what happened because they were finally safe. Final word on the victims of Michael Jackson's sexual abuse. So really well done. Documentary, docuseries, very difficult. There are a few things that I was a little, I felt like in the after interview, there was a little too much emphasis placed on forgiveness. I just personally think we just we need to wait a long time before we bring that up to people. That is when someone is in the process of healing from horrific, chronic, continual abuse. Forgiveness is not a place that we need to start with. And then there was a little bit of last final like push to make, make sure you speak up because you never know who else needs to hear what you have to say at the end. And I'm, I'm kind of just, I don't know, I guess I just want to be careful. I think that it's important that we don't center the abuser in the victim's story. And this is not about the abuser and like keeping the abuser from abusing other people. That might be a motivation from some, for some people, but sharing your story and being honest about your story is for yourself. And so we have to move towards centering the victim 
in the telling of these stories and their healing process because so much has already been taken from them. And that's why I really appreciated the documentary because it did decentralize the abuser. It was very well done in, in centering the victims. If you need to talk to someone about this, I definitely encourage you to seek out a mental health professional who, who focuses on this and can walk with you through this and navigate with you through this. Take care of yourself and I'll see you next time.